Hello and welcome to Life Learnings. I'm Barry Harker and my guest today is Julia Legion. Julia is the author of The Ugly Daughter, Volume 1, a harrowing but utterly compelling memoir of growing up in Vietnam during and after the Vietnam War, escape from Vietnam and life in a Malaysian refugee camp. Julia is currently working on the second volume of The Ugly Daughter. Julia came to Australia with her family in 1986 and initially lived in Wollongong. Today, Julia is a successful business person and humanitarian. She has a son, Jeremy, and is married to Simeon. Today, I'll be talking with Julia about her life and its numerous turning points, her amazing resilience, and the role of spirituality in her life. While 3ABN Australia accepts the reality of Julia's experiences of the supernatural in The Ugly Daughter, there may be differences in how we would interpret the significance of these experiences. Nevertheless, Julia's story is one of providential protection of her life, and that is why her story is so compelling. The story of Julia's life demonstrates God's great love and care for each of us. That care and love continues to unfold in Julia's life. Welcome, Julia. It's such a pleasure to have you as a guest on Life Learnings today. Thank you so much, Barry. I'm very grateful to be here. Julia, you spent much of your childhood living in unimaginably squalid conditions. What was it like for you, Simeon and Jeremy, to accompany Dennis Perry of Operation Food for Life on his most recent trip to minister to the needs of the poor of uh, Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea? Well, I have to say that I was quite naive before I stepped foot into PNG. As you know, that you know my background, that I came from a war-torn country yes. and from poverty. So I thought I have seen it all. Um, but I was in shock when I um, arrived in Port Mosby. Um, the level of unemployment was just unbelievable. And there's so many people on the street struggling to survive. And... Um, it's also an eye-opener for my son, Jeremy. Our, our main trip there, mainly we want to take Jeremy there and just want to show him what poverty looks like. And um, emotionally, it's affecting him quite a bit and um, he, he finds it hard to deal with, especially when we visit the Burundi dump and... It was heartbreaking for me, for Jeremy, also for Simeon, to see so many families literally living on the rubbish dump. And there's so many children, especially under the age of 10, they have literally absolutely nothing, no clothes, no shoe. And I, I just couldn't imagine. It, it's breaking my heart just to see these children mm -hmm. living in such a horrific condition and relying everyday food is waiting for the uh, rubbish truck to come and get their food from there. It's just unbelievable. You said that you were shocked yeah. that you had experienced that poverty in Vietnam, mm -hmm. but you were shocked by that. Yeah. It just, in Vietnam, it's, it's a different um, environment, even though I was poor, but there's always, always some kind of... Um, Places like wild fruits and, you know, seafood in the forest or in the water. I can go fishing or I can go to the forest and pick up some snails or go to the ocean and get some cockles and all that to eat. Yes. Um, but I never, ever seen people that 
literally living on the rubbish dump. And so that that is a shock for me because I have never experienced that until the day I stepped foot in PNG. How did that change you, that experience of going to Papua New Guinea? Uh, I'm still being haunted at the moment with the image with all the kids that live in, on the rubbish dump. And it's um, give me a... I look at life now in a different perspective because I thought I have seen it all, and especially in Vietnam, and I thought that was hell on earth. Mm. But now I see PNG and I look back at my life and I thought, actually, I had it pretty good compared to the people that are living in PNG at the moment. How did you get to meet Dennis? Well, it's a long story. It was, but actually, it was actually Dennis who told me about you. <laughs> okay. Um, before I met Dennis, I've been working in uh, working for many different charities for many many years. So I've been donating my my own time and money, and I also have um, I heard or oh, we all heard of stories that you know all these funds been wasted to uh, pay for the CEOs and go to admin and very little of the funds actually go to the people that in need. <coughs> But initially, I didn't believe, you know, the stories. I thought they were just rumors um, until I experienced it firsthand. And I've seen a lot of wastage and, you know, the public money being misused. So a few years ago, I decided that I quit working for charity and I canceled all the contribution that I made, you know, for all these charities. But somehow, you know, because I've been doing charity for most of my life and I just have this nagging feeling that I I have to find some worthy cause and I have to do it. I cannot just just walk away from it. So I pray to God if he could, you know, guide me to a worthy uh, organization. At the time, I also wanted to join a local uh, rotary club so I made contact with them. And on that particular week, the lady from the Rotary uh, kept insisting that I should go that night to be there, just guest there, just to, to see what they do and see if I like you know, the environment. But I was busy on that night, and I, I didn't really want to go. But I keep on hearing this nagging voice in my head that you must be there that night. And I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't ignore it. So I said, you know what? Okay, I'll be there. So I turn up. Guess what? <laughs> Dennis was a uh, guest speaker on the night, and I was really moved by his uh, presentation. So I waited for him to finish you know, presenting, and I came up, I approached him. All I wanted just to say is, you know, I'm I was moved by his presentation, but words didn't come out and all of a sudden tears just, you know, rolling down my face. And Dennis, he gave me a huge hug and he said to me, you don't need to say anything, I know what you want to say. And, you know, that's how Dennis and I now, we kind of become really good friends, you could say. (laughs) So meeting Dennis... You, you met him that night. You heard his presentation. You yeah. were moved by that presentation. Yes. 
How did you make that um, that leap from just being moved to actually going to Papua New to Guinea? Yeah. I guess because I wanted to see firsthand what he what his organization do for the people in PNG. Yes. And I want to make sure that if I'm going to uh, donate my money and time with his organization, I wanted to see it firsthand. Yes. Um, so I asked Dennis if I could come with him to PNG and... You know, I'm really grateful that he agreed and he invited me and Simeon and my son to um, go there with him. And I was just totally blown away by the, you know, his, his dedication and his commitment and his working ethic. It's unbelievable. He works from, like, he rises up really early in the morning and he didn't, he usually doesn't go to bed until really late at night. And it's, I think I nicknamed him, I call him, um, you know, there's a bet, um, what do you call, there's a TV commercial that uh, I think Energizer, and with that bunny, keep on going, and he, he doesn't stop, and that's I call Dennis, <laughs> that, that bunny. <laughs> <laughs> now, you experienced extreme poverty. How much impact has that had on your humanitarian instincts today? Um... Based on my personal experience, I mean, it's, like I said, it gives me a better understanding of the suffering of these underprivileged people. Yeah. Uh, but also, I wouldn't have been raised by my grandmother that way. You know, since I was a young child, my grandmother instilled all this goodness in me. And I remember, you know, coming along to the market with her looking for all the homeless and all the sick people and we take care of them. So and it's been part of your life right from the beginning. It's been part of my life, yes. Mm. Now one of the things that really stood out for me in your book, apart from your re- amazing resilience and the fact that you are also mischievous at times, um, you're, you're a, a vulnerable girl, you're living in post-war Vietnam but the thing that stood out for me was just the number of key turning points that actually had in in your life. Can you tell us about some of those key turning points? The one, and perhaps the one that you think was the most important. Mm. Where do I start? <laughs> There's so many of them. I'll just I'll share with you a few that's still very close to my heart. And the first event that really made a big impact on my life is that when my grandmother left me with the two strangers and they were quite violent and I didn't know who they were, who they were until later on that I found out those people were actually my birth parents. Um, that was the first event. And the second one was my best friend. Um, she was quite ill. And her mother took her to Saigon, hoping that, you know, they could find a cure for her. And that was the last time I saw her. She died in Saigon, and I didn't get to say goodbye to her. And you had a very close relationship with yeah, her, didn't she's, you? She's probably one of, besides my grandmother, she was the closest friend that I ever had in Vietnam at that time. And she brought a lot of joy and comfort to my life. Um <clears throat> So um, I'm still feeling emotional just thinking about her. Um, but the one event that 
made made a huge impact to my life was the time that we left Vietnam. And my dad didn't tell us that we were going to escape. Um, so we left all of a sudden. I didn't get to say goodbye to my neighbors, my friends, anybody that I know. Um, but I'm glad that we did because I can certainly tell you that I could have been dead by now mm. if we didn't leave Vietnam. Uh, not because of the hardship or the abuse, but because of my outspoken personality. <laughs> I'm not suited for that kind of environment. <laughs> I noticed that in, in, in reading your in reading your stories, um, there were these um, massive changes in your circumstances. And I thought, I kept thinking to myself, how would I have dealt with these major changes in my own life? And I think I started to admire your resilience as I saw how you were dealing with these amazing changes, you know, flopping from one thing to another, being put in difficult circumstances and how you adapted to those circumstances. I, f I, I feel that your story is about resilience and later I want you to talk to our listeners about resilience and, and uh, what it means and, and how people can have it because... After I read your story, I thought to myself, I'm never going to complain again about anything. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was so, so the, the, the lesson for me was so pointed that really in my country of Australia, I have very little to complain about, really. And um, I just admired the way in which you dealt with these circumstances and continue to, to keep moving forward. Now, in your book, you describe several intense experiences of the supernatural did you ever have the sense that someone or something outside of your everyday experience was caring for you and guiding your life? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think I've been very lucky to be raised by my grandmother. She's a very spiritual woman, and she instilled the idea of God and you know how I can communicate with God easily. Um, so throughout my childhood until now, I feel very blessed because I feel like I am able to talk to God and I know that he talks back mm -hmm. to me. Um, so definitely that I have no doubt that I've been guided and also been protected by God throughout my whole entire life. And your grandmother was the one who really was looking out for you, wasn't yes. she? Yes, yes and had a tremendous influence on your life. I understand she's still alive in Vietnam? Yes, she she's still alive and still healthy and still young at heart. <laughs> and she's 88? She's 88, yes. Mm. And what about today? Do you still feel there's a supreme being who providentially guides your life today? Yeah, I have no, absolutely no doubt whatsoever. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I feel like that no matter how how hard my life is or the situation thrown at me, I can certainly put that through God and I know he would take care for yes. me. So, yeah. Now, when I read The Ugly Daughter, and by the way, I finished it on the day that I started, I was most disturbed by the emotional deprivation you suffered as a child. How did you come to be the ugly daughter? I mean, you're by no means ugly. In fact, you're a very attractive lady. Thank you. How did you come to be the ugly daughter in your family? And how did you survive this extreme emotional deprivation? Um, 
back to my grandmother. Um, she raised me as a child and she instilled a lot of goodness in me and she also filled my life with, like, I feel like I've been overflow with love from my grandmother. And I also remember that she reminded me that I was a child of God, a child of God. Mm -hmm. And my parents are just some people that, you know, uh, you could put it as a surrogate parents. They're not my real parents. God is my real father. Mm -hmm. And so whenever my parents abuse me mentally or physically, I turn to God for comfort. And I, I talk to him and, you know, I ask him for, you know, helping me to deal with this situation. So a lot of time, I you could say that, you know, I talk to an imaginary person and that's where I get my comfort from. So, you, so your identity was coming from not your family necessarily, no. but from outside of that. That's right. And your grandmother taught you that. That's right, yes. As a very young age, before we go to bed every single day, that's what my grandmother would tell me. Uh, her exact word would be that I am a special person and I'm a child of God. And the reason for me being on this earth is to serve my father, and that is to take care of my underprivileged brother and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandmother told me that because I'm a child of God, throughout my whole life journey, I would have to encounter a lot and overcome a lot of tests and have to overcome you know, all this hardship and you could call adversity. Um, to be able to accomplish the mission for my father. Mm-hmm. So whenever I put in this situation, I remind myself that it's just a test and I want to make my father proud. <laughs> so I'm going to keep going and I'm going to fight the battle until the end, you know, because I want my father to be proud of me. Um, so when, it, when my grandmother returned me to live with my parents, it was quite apparent very quickly that my parents show us that, you know, they, they do not want any girls in the family. All they want is just a boy. But it just happened, you know, they they have five girls before they ended up with a boy. And so I'm not the only girls that have been abused in the family, but all my sisters gone through the same thing. Um, in terms of, you know, being ugly, unfortunately, I'm literally the ugliest child in the family. All my sisters are really beautiful people. Uh, but when it comes to ugliness, you know, with my my parents, their definition is that I'm not only just being physically ugly, but because of my outspoken personality. And for all my sisters, they are very obedient and they're quiet and they just do what they told to do but I'm totally the opposite <laughs> so, so you're the outspoken one in the family I'm the outspoken one and I also always question their authority so therefore I'm a black ship <laughs> in the family tell me a bit more about your grandmother she's a, a central character in your book yeah tell me about her what was it what was it like what was it like relating to her uh, my grandmother is a very compassionate and forgiven woman and she loves every being including human and animals and she would do anything for anyone and um, 
throughout her whole, her, her whole entire life, that's what she does. She spends all of her free time just go out there and take care of the homeless and especially the cripples because, as you can see, you know, they can't do much and all day they just crawl around the market begging people for food and for mercy and that's what my grandmother would do. She would clean them up, she would take care of them and she would feed them. So her conception of God was about love love and helping people. Yeah, it's all about love. Hmm. My grandmother, she doesn't care uh, where you're from, who you are, which religion you belong to. As long as you show love and compassion, then she will show respect for you. Hmm. And now you're a very determined person in the book. Are you still that sort of person today? Yeah, definitely. I have not changed. I mean, I have grown older. <laughs> yes. But in terms of you know, being who I am, uh, I'm still the same person. Tell me about your life today. What's your attitude to life? Well, I truly believe that life is a gift and... I'm also very grateful in terms with, even though I grow older, but I still remain childlike. And with that, it gives me the ability to go after what I want fearlessly. And I have no limitation. Um, so also my attitude is that life is a gift and you make the most out of it. But at the same time, you need to have strong faith in God. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go f- after what you want, but you have to have that strong faith that you will get it mm. as long as you ask God to help you. And if you're helping other people, then God's happy to supply resources for you to do that, I'm sure. Well, from what I learned throughout my whole entire life, it's all about helping others, not helping yourself. Yes. But, you know, with all the goals that throughout my life, it's always involves others. It's not about myself. It's just like helping Dennis or go out there and raise the funds or serve others. And in return, somehow along the way, I get to meet people like yourself and my husband and Dennis. And I think that's the reward I get back from God. Yes, there's always a spin-off, isn't there? That's right. <laughs> now, you were not only resourceful and resilient as a child, but also mischievous. At times, are you still that person? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I have not changed at all. I'm still exactly the same person. I mean, I, I grow more mature, and um, but I, I do behave in certain way as adults do. Um, but, yes, I'm still keeping my true identity. Julia, tell me of your escape from Vietnam. Just tell me the story. And the hardships you faced in reaching Malaysia, I don't want, I don't want to destroy the book for people, sure. but I think this is a really important, a really important turning point in your life, which yes. was leaving Vietnam, and then coming to Australia. Yes. Tell us about what it was like just escaping. It's probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, as I told you earlier, that I did not know that my dad planned to escape Vietnam. And so around midnight, he woke us up, got us into the boat, and told us to get into the engine room and hide there because we have to pass the checkpoint. 
So I, I panicked the moment, you know, we got on the boat and knew what, what's about to happen. So um, we were lucky and we were clear to go from the checkpoint. But the moment I step on that boat, I know that all of us lives are in God's hand because it's brought back to the memories during Beya that I saw thousands of people were killed and the communists have no hesitation to kill you because you're not allowed to leave Vietnam. So we got, got out safely to the open sea. Somehow there must be some fishing boat or some other villages saw us and they reported to the authority. Next thing you know, there's gunshot all over the place and I just got down on my knees and I prayed to God for his protection. And um, we managed to escape safely to uh, Thailand water. So when we got to Thailand, we were quite excited because we thought, you know, we're out of danger. A few hours later, we were chased by the pirates. And again, <laughs> before we left Vietnam, I heard a lot of horrific stories about pirates that, you know, if you get caught by them, they will rob you, rape you, and then kill you. Um, so the chase went on for more than half a day. Again, I got down on my knees and I prayed to God for his protection. Um, probably they were maybe about three, four hundred meters from our boat. So they were just about to catch us. Um, nobody knew what happened. They just turned around and they headed for an diff- uh, opposite direction. Then again, we cheated death. And we thought we were safe. Only that we brought straight into a massive storm. <laughs> and the storm was so violent that the, the waves, most of the waves, the size of like 10, 20 story buildings. And we were just being beaten from left, right, and center from the wave. And that moment, Again, I got down and I prayed to God, but I thought this time there's no way God going to help us because there's there's no place for us to seek for shelter. And we passed a few um, tankers and we couldn't stop because the waves are just so big and so violent. And it seems so hopeless that... There's, there's nothing anybody can do for us now, even God. I mean, what can God do at this stage? Um, but for some strange reasons, a few hours later, the storm went away and we made it out of the storm alive. Um, then we came across some kind of civilization because from the distance you can see there were some makeshift homes and all that along the beaches. Um, then our engine shut down. It stopped working and we drifted back into the vast sea. And so here we, here we were. It's just like playing, you know, cat and mouse again. <laughs> it's, just, you know, you just cheating one death from the next and you keep on going and you just, 
the situation seems uh, the situation seems so hopeless. And uh, my dad spent a few hours trying to get the to start the engine and hoping that we could, you know, find a place to pull over. And so somehow my dad managed to fix the engine and. The, the weather at that time seems very nice and calm. And my dad, he's already has his mind made up that he wanted to go all the way to Australia. So he thought, you know, we would be safe. So instead of, you know, land somewhere in Malaysia, dad kept on pushing. And several hours later, the storm came back and it was like twice as bad. And our boat got capsized. And... I was the first kid on the, uh, made it to the dry land and I ran for help. Um, but at that stage, I, I couldn't speak the language, so I couldn't get help for my family. Uh, so hopelessly, I sat on the sand and waited and watched what's happening to my sisters, brothers, and everybody on board and watching the wave, you know, beating them to death. Um, but a few hours later, like I said I kept on praying, and a short while later, not a few, a short while later, the boat just, you know, ended up on dry land, and everybody was safe on board. Yeah. And you had reached Malaysia at this point. Malaysia, yes. And what was it like in the uh, in the camp there? Uh, from the beginning, it was like paradise. From compared to where I came from and where we were in. You seem I to have a really up. good time there. Yeah, Pulau Bidong is actually still one of my happiest you know, childhood memories. Um, but uh, from the beginning, we had our own place to live and we have nice food to eat. And, you know, there's nothing to do but just swim on the beach and swim with the dolphins. Um, but a few weeks later, there was a massive... Um, uh, what you call the refugees, you know, start flooding in and the place got overcrowded and we ran out of food very quickly. Um, so the last, say, 12 months there was was quite a challenge and all we had to eat was instant noodles from breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it was so, you know, we ran out of food, ran out of water, um, no place to to sleep and you know just massively overcrowded mm. we won't spoil the rest of the story mm. because that's volume two isn't it <laughs> yes <laughs> it's uh, it's a wonderful story so if you're listening and uh, you haven't heard of the ugly daughter volume one you can go to www.theuglydaughter.com and um, where you can find the link to amazon and you can get a copy, you can download a copy, or you can get a copy from Amazon. It's well worth a read. Uh, as I said before, if you read it, you probably won't complain about anything again. <laughs> I'm Barry Harker, and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Julia Legion. Julia is the author of The Ugly Daughter, a memoir of growing up in Vietnam, escape from Vietnam, and life in a Malaysian refugee camp. We're going to go to a break now, and when we come back... We're going to continue Julia's story. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 
4973-3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Julia Legion. Julia is the author of The Ugly Daughter, a memoir of growing up in Vietnam, escape from Vietnam and life in a Malaysian refugee camp. In this last part of the program, I'm just going to continue talking with um, Julia about her life and some reflections about her life. Julia, where are you at spiritually today? I'm very at peace with myself and I have made peace with my past also. And I'm very happy to say that I have found God. Um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, Every day I talk to God and I look for little signs that to see that he talks back to me. And the perfect example would be Dennis Perry's, you know, um, encounter Mm -hmm. that when I pray and I met Dennis at the um, Rotary Club. Um, So every morning before I get out of bed and every evening before I go to bed, I give thanks to God and I pray for his love, his guidance, and I also ask him to use me, you know, to serve others. Now, Julia, you've also had to forgive a lot of people in your life and you've suffered at people's hands in the past. How did you find it in you to forgive? What does forgiveness mean to you? It's quite hard uh, initially, you know, to forgive the people that done so much damage to my life. And um, I can give all the credit to by working on my book. So initially when I work on a book, the first draft was so much anger and hatred. Um, but as I walk along, you know, as time goes on and many years later, I can see from the other person's point of view and I put myself in their shoes, I walk in their Mm -hmm. shoes and I can see that they actually battling with their own personal demon Um, because I genuinely believe that all human beings are very nice people and what they, all these people, what they did to me it must be something that happened to them in their past, which I do not know. So um, I thought, you know, I, I forgive them because maybe there's something of their past that I'm not aware of, and mm-hmm. that's what makes them who they are today. Also, I come to realize that forgiveness is the only choice I have. And if I want to move on and have peace Mm -hmm. with my life, I have to forgive these people, not for their own sake, but 
but it's for my own sanity. Um, so from that point on, I, I make the decision that I have to forgive them for my own sanity, and I want to move on, and I, I don't want to be a prisoner of my past. Yes, I think that the idea of just holding on to anger and resentment from the past, where it sort of eats away at you and yes. destroys your peace, yes. it has a, an ongoing impact on the person. So forgiveness is actually a best option, isn't it, really? A rational option, like you're saying, it's the only, the only real choice is to forgive yes. if you want to enjoy your life. Life's That's too right. short to be full of regrets and anger and yeah. resentment and so forth. Yes, and not only that, but... You know, what happened to you in the past is the past. Mm. And there is no reason for you to torture yourself. That's that's what I realized, that I've been my own worst enemies. And I torture myself by holding on to this anger, anger and hatred mm-hmm. and onto my past, which I have walked away for so many years ago. Yes. Uh, and yet every day, you know, I just kept myself as a prisoner. How do you relate to people today who try to make life difficult for you? I have to say that I'm I'm very blessed because um, a lot of people that I meet along the way uh, for the past, say, five years are very nice people Mm -hmm. and they don't want to make my life difficult. They actually helping me to get where I want uh, to go. But if I happen to come across someone that want to make my life difficult, the first thing I would do is I would pray to God and I would ask God to bring some light and some love into their lives because, I mean, as human being, the best way we could do for our own soul and for others is to help others people to achieve um, and to be successful in life and in terms you will rip the benefit out of that. So there's absolutely no reason for you to, you know, want to make life difficult for others. So, um, yeah, I, I, I will not hold it against them. How do you deal with difficulties in your life? Today I don't see uh, difficulties at, as, you know, difficulty anymore, but I see it as a challenge. And I love taking on challenge because... I know for sure it doesn't matter how big the challenge is. I have God on my side. And when I, I would do my best to deal with it, but if I know that the problem or the difficulty is too big for me to handle, I will hand it over to God, and I know that will be taken care of. Mm. Some of the things that happened to you in your early life I mean, if you could survive those, you can survive just about anything. That's right. And you still seem to have that, that drive and determination of that, that vulnerable girl that we saw in The Ugly Daughter. Now, what are the things in life that you value the most today? There's a few things. The first thing I value most is my husband. He's, um, he's my... He's the unsung hero, hero. I mean, you know, a lot of people give me credit for things that I've done and all the success and all that. But I can tell you that I will not be able, I wouldn't be here or made it all the way if it wasn't for Simeon. The second thing is my son. My son is my, he's my guardian angel. 
the reason I still alive and well today because of my son. Sometimes, you know, uh, in the past that I was tempted to take my own life and I thought of my son and I just couldn't do it because I wanted to live for him. Third would be all my friends and the good people that I met along the way. But the most precious thing that I value is my relationship with God and knowing that I can talk to him at any time I want and knowing that no matter what happened to my life, God will always be there for me. And that's something that I, you know, dress you forever. You experienced things in Vietnam that no one should ever be called to ex- called upon to experience. And you didn't realize that that had a tremendous impact on you. And you were having flashbacks for years. And then you discovered you did have post-traumatic stress disorder. What did that do? How did that help you to make sense of your past and understand what was happening to you? Well, in medical term, I, I didn't know that I suffer from post-traumatic uh, dramatic disorder. Um, I thought it was just a norm, you know, what I went through. Um, but I did have to relive and say almost two decades that I have to relive all these nightmares. And at, at night I couldn't sleep, and in the morning I couldn't function. And so I was like a living zombie for a long time. Um, at at time I wanted to, to be exact, I think four times that I wanted to commit suicide, and lucky I didn't. Um, the, the way for me to deal with it is, um, I said I, I pray a lot to God and I talk to God and I also remember what my grandmother told me and I read a lot of self-help books. Um, also watching Oprah and Dr. Phil have tremendously because uh, I can identify you know, with problems that i uh, gone through at that time. Um, so I think that's that's the only way I know how to deal with it. I mean, I just do the best I can and you know, just trying to survive and just keep on going. How did The Ugly Daughter come about? (laughs) What was the motivation for writing that? Was that just to be able to reflect on your life, to maybe just get it down, get the story down so you could leave it behind? What what was the motivation? Um, In, I think, early in the book that I did mention that I during the time that I struggled to survive, I did make a promise to God that if he gave me a better life, I would use my life as an example. So at the point I thought um, maybe writing my book would be my legacy to leave it behind if something happened to me. Um, Because if you were to read my story, I mean, which you did, um, you can see that it's just a mini series of miracles after miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, to write a book to give people a different perspective um, to life. How did you find the time to write it in your busy program? It was a huge challenge, and at first I didn't write it. I actually paid for a ghostwriter to work on it for me, but it didn't work out because he cannot convey how I feel. Yes. Um, on the book. 
Um, so I made time to work on it, and um, it took a lot of long nights and sleepless night to work on it. And I thought, initially, I thought it would, would only take about five or six months to do it, but it ended up five and a half years. So um, it was hard work. And how did the, how did writing that book change you? What impact did it have on you? It made me. Um, I kind of like become a better human being in terms with I through throughout you know the process I learned the true meaning of compassion and forgiveness and so it, it's it's made me more humble and more compassionate towards you know all these people that hurted me and also life in general um, because you know. Before I decided to write a book, I was I got caught in my own uh, past and my own miseries, and I didn't look at life in any other way. Um, but when I started writing in the process, I can see, you know, all those people that hurting me, they also have their own challenges that they face. Um, so, in another word, um, it is like um, um, therapeutic for me because. You know, it's. I think it's also my, you know, counselor. You could so that say. compassion and forgiveness yeah. came partly through through the partly, book. Partly through yeah, the book. working through the book. Tell me a bit more about the process of actually writing the book. Are you writing in a second language? <laughs> that was tough. It was really hard, as you can see. That you know, you know, my whole entire life, I, I, I mean, even now, I, I haven't. Um, I never had a formal, you know, um, English lesson, so it's all self-taught. And when I started writing a book, that was a huge challenge because uh, it was all over the place. And that's when that's where Dawn's come about because you know she helps me to polish the book and yes. make it more, <laughs> you know, grammatical correctness and you know all this thing that I I don't have the ability to do. And also my husband, he spends hours and hours trying to polish it for me also. So I get a lot of help from well, people. Well, they've done a good job. Yeah, they've thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really tough. It was, yeah, one of, uh, one of the greatest challenges that, you know, I took on. Now, we've got Volume 2 coming. When can we expect that? It's not – I would love to give you a definite answer, but I don't because um, it has serious legal implications. And right now I'm trying to work around it, but I cannot seem to find a way at the moment. Okay. So, yeah. Now, without giving too much away, what can we expect from Volume 2? Volume 2 covers from the time that we arrived here in Australia, and it's also talks um, about my, you know, life challenge in terms with how I deal with all this post-traumatic disorder, um, my life journey, uh, how I get to overcome my past, and also, you know, how I become successful. Yes. Um, and also challenges with my sisters and brothers, 
I mean, uh, even though we left Vietnam and we we left the environment and we came to Australia and it's a beautiful country, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have a good life here um, because my parents' mentality is still the same. So the abuse continuing and um, also, you know, we have to deal with the different cultures and language and our challenge at school. So you had to face some additional challenges when you came to Australia, not only just dealing with the culture, but sort of adjusting to, well, adjusting to life in a, in a completely alien culture. Yes. But with your past continuing into into your future. Yeah, my past actually now haunting me <laughs> because, you know, as a young child, I, I had God to talk to and turn to him for comfort. And I didn't suffer anything as a child. You know, I saw the, it's kind of like it's locked away somewhere deep down, you know, um, in my mind. Um, but that, 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 all that resurfaced when we um, came to Australia. Now tell me what you've learned from your life. And again, it's a work in progress. Um, what have you learned from your life that you think we should all know or could benefit from? Forgiveness and compassion. And those two, they go hand in hand. Because if you don't have compassion, then there's no way you could find you know, yourself to forgive these people. Uh, but forgiveness is, like what I said earlier, it's not only for the people, you know, but for yourself and for you to find peace of mind and to live a productive and happy life, you must forgive people and move on and just leave your past behind. Hmm. Now, you're a successful business person. Do you think that your early experiences gave you the motivation to succeed? Um, I think... It depends on how you define success. Um, everything I do in life is based on my own passion. Um, so I just go after whatever I want just because it makes my heart feel good about it. And so um, I think also my my background has a lot to do with it and especially living in such a amazing country in australia and has so many endless possibility so i want to make the most out of it and so i just go out there and achieve that whatever goals that i set out for myself and i guess being successful is one of <laughs> one of that goals one of the things I sense is that if you had managed to keep yourself out of trouble, that you would have been a very successful person in Vietnam as well. Would that be a, yes. would that be a fair comment? Yes, <laughs> yes, I, 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 that's that's a fair comment because I I always wanted to be someone and do something with my life and yeah. So, do you see a positive side to all of the hardship in your early life? Is there a positive side to it? Definitely, most definitely, it makes me being more humble and to become a stronger person, hmm. and also to see life in a different way and being grateful for all the little things in my life. What advice do you have for young people who might want to 
get involved in business today? Because you were a relatively young person when you were successful. What advice would you have for someone? What principles would you function on in relationship to your business that you think will give success? Well, to me, success is find what you love and love what you do. And on top of that, if you want to be successful in business, then you have to go out there and find what the market needs mm-hmm. and to give that, to present that to the market. But you have to be willing to put in 100% and you have to be, you have to have strong faith in yourself and to never, ever, ever let anyone else tell you that you cannot do it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's your journey and it's your passion. And if you, if you believe in yourself and have strong faith in God, you can move mountains. So, I was talking to someone recently and they said they thought everyone had a successful person inside them and uh, that everyone was really equipped for success. God has given everyone a set of talents and abilities. Yes. So that, and those are unique abilities so that everyone's uniquely talented, yes. different from everyone else, yes. and has a talent that's probably better than anyone else in the world. It's something. And uh, it just seems that so often we compare ourselves with other people and think that we're not good. But really, your story tells us that if you're willing to have faith and to work hard, that you can have success. And also be be who you are. I mean, you got to be authentic, right? Mm-hmm. You, you cannot be anyone else because you are who you are and that's how God made you. So... You know, it doesn't matter how hard or how long the journey or what's the challenge, you know, what people are throwing at you. you got to be strong and you got to be determined and you got to remain who you are. Hmm. You cannot afford to lose that, you know, authentic self. Hmm. And if you stick to that, I mean, to me, that that's success, you know, hmm. being who you are and be comfortable with it. What do you plan to do for the future? I'm sure you have plans for the future. <laughs> my future plan is to serve others. That's my passion, you know, just to go out there every day and make a difference in someone else's life because, you know, someone else gave me that chance and now I just want to give it back. Mm. Well, I wish you the very best in that, Julia. And um, I really appreciate your willingness to drive up to the studios today. And, and talk with me. It's been a great experience reading your book mm-hmm. and also having the opportunity to talk with you about your story today. Uh, thank you so much for that. And I wish you well with your future work and your humanitarian work and also with Volume 2. And I'm going to be very interested mm-hmm. to get hold of my copy of that uh, when it comes out. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and thank you to all the listeners. I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Julia Legion. Julia is the author of The Ugly Daughter, Volume 1, a memoir of growing up in Vietnam, escape from Vietnam, and life in a Malaysian refugee camp. Julia has spoken about her life and its numerous turning points, her amazing resilience, and the role of spirituality in her life. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with another fascinating guest on Life Learnings. Until then, bye for now, and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.